Well, we are in Ezekiel chapter 7. We'll be covering the full, full chapter here tonight. We're going to see some correspondence to things that are going on today. If you saw the Facebook post at all, and I gave you a verse in particular that will correspond to today. So if you had some time to meditate on that, we'll see how you got with where we get to. In verse 1 of chapter 7, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God of the land, or to the land of Israel, An end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end has come upon you. And I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways. And I will repay you for your, all your abominations. Now, if you want the, the technical term, which is not a biblical term, just sort of the technical term, this is called prophetic past tense. This is when the prophet speaks of something that is yet future as if it is past tense. So they call it prophetic past tense. Again, the Bible doesn't call it that. It's just, some, it's just a label that has been thrown upon it. So if you ever hear that term thrown about, this is a case where you do see it. Now we remember the, the things going on during the day. There are some prophets that are saying this is a two or, two or three year thing. And then there are others who are saying, no, this is a long time thing and Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. So up to now, we've been speaking a lot about Jerusalem itself and the destruction that will come. But here we're seeing that expanded. <clears throat> when he says, and you son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. So we're not just talking about Jerusalem here. We're talking about all the land of Judea. All of that means all the cities beside Jerusalem that are in there are all going to come down. They're all going to be uh, judged and it will not be good for any of them. He does uh, start with this though, an end and then the end. It is the end to the, the people being in the land right now. It is an end because they come back. And then the end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end has come upon you. And I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways. And I will repay you for all your abominations. So the end has already come upon you. Don't let anyone try and say this is not going to happen. God is going to relent. He is saying I am not. It has already happened. It's already done. As far as I am concerned, this is past tense. It is done. So that's something that we have to uh, keep in mind because they're they're used to God's mercy. Every time that they have repented up until now, there has been mercy that has been been extended, and God says, "All right, I'll withhold the judgment. I'll withhold the judgment. We'll we'll wait until until this." But He's saying, "Nah, we're not waiting. It is already sent. It's already done. As far as I am concerned, this thing is over. It just you haven't seen it yet. That's basically all I say. My eye will not spare you." Nor will I have pity, but I will repay your ways and your abominations will be in your midst. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So don't, don't think that if you give me those puppy dog eyes <laughs> that I'm going to spare you. Uh, I'm not going to look upon your tough condition that you're in and say, oh, but I love these folks and I'm going to, I'm going to turn and, and help them. He says, no, my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity. But I will repay your ways and your abominations will be in your midst. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 5, Thus says the Lord God, A disaster, a singular disaster, behold, it has come. An end has 
come. The end has come. Again, we're saying that, that part again. An end has come. They will have others, but this is the end of those that are there. It has dawned for you. Behold, it has come. Doom has come to you. You who dwell in the land, the time has come. A day of trouble is near and not of rejoicing in the, in the mountains. Now upon you, I will pour out my fury and spend my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways and I will repay you for all your abominations. My eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity. I will repay you according to your ways and your abominations will be in your midst. Then you shall know that I am the Lord who strikes. Boy, that is real similar to what he just said, isn't it? He's trying to get this over to him. He's repeating himself. He says, look, this is, this is it. You've got my fury. You've got my anger. I'm going to judge you according to the ways that you have walked in. And I'm going to repay you for all the abominations that you have done. So over and over, the end is spoken of as having happened. Not as going to. I think there's one reference there that is coming. But the rest of it is all, it has happened. So don't think that what has occurred so far is the end. He throws out one future reference in there saying, no, this is still coming. But as far as I'm concerned, this is all past tense. It's done. Verse 10. Behold the day. Behold, it has come. Doom has gone out. The rod has blossomed. Pride has budded. Violence has risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain. None of their multitude. None of them. Nor shall there be wailing for them. The time has come. The day draws near. Let not the buyer rejoice nor the seller mourn, for wrath is on their whole multitude. Now the part here that says the rod has blossomed, it may have reference to the rod of Aaron. If you remember, there was a point of contention and rods were brought in and the one that bloomed was the one that was going to be picked because people decided that Aaron shouldn't be the high priest, that other people wanted to take over and do some of his roles. So he said, all right, fine, go bring a rod. Whoever buds is the one the Lord picks and that's the one that was picked and that was put into the Ark of the Covenant. So he had the rod that blossomed. That would seem to be the reference here. That's the only rod we ever had that blossomed in the, in the Word of God. Behold the day. Behold it has come. Doom has gone out. The rod has blossomed. When the rod blossomed, there was judgment put upon the others who did not follow upon God. Pride has budded. Violence has risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain. None of their multitude. None of them. <laughs> He's, he's being pretty strong with this, isn't it? Nor shall there be wailing for them. Now that part there, there shall there be wailing for them, it probably gives reference to the fact that there is no burial. There is no, there is no mourning. There is, uh, the bodies are going to be just left out. Because this destruction is sudden. And when the bodies are lined up and the bodies are out, then um, they're just going to be left there. Which means more pestilence and more disease will, will come about. So there was pestilence and there was disease that killed some of these people and there's going to be more pestilence and there's going to be more disease as we go on. He then goes on in verse 12, The time has come, the day draws near, let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is on their whole multitude. So this could have reference to the day of Jubilee. Now, when we were at our picnic on Sunday, I don't remember who brought it up, but somehow we had our day, the day of Jubilee came up in one of our conversations. And someone made reference to a fact that there was a prophecy that was made about something about the day of Jubilee and trying to tie it into some of the events that come along here. 
and some of our leadership that's here. Um, I think people can get swallowed up in the day of Jubilee because the day of Jubilee is a uh, kind of a high point. As we read about it in the Word of God, it's, a, it's an exciting idea. But what we have to remember is the day of Jubilee probably never happened. Israel, more than likely, never celebrated the day of Jubilee a single time in their history. The day of Jubilee would have been 50 years after, after everything had started. But the children of Israel didn't even honor the seventh Sabbath. They began to dishonor that. It did not take them very long until greed got hold of them. I don't think they made it to the first 50 years honoring the Sabbath year. Not the Sabbath day, but the Sabbath year. On the Sabbath year, they're supposed to give the land rest. And God would give them an abundance in the sixth year to make up for the seventh year. But it seems that greed took hold of them and they dropped that. Do you remember that the captivity was based upon the land not having its Sabbath? And God said it will have its Sabbath. And so the 70 years was determined for that, that, that particular time. So, um, uh, they had, they did do this, the Sabbath, it seemed for, for a while, but, uh, one by one, certain ones would fall off, so you might only have maybe uh, half the nation doing it, and then maybe a third of the nation doing it, and maybe 10% of the nation doing it, and pretty soon none of the nation was, was doing it. But the year of Jubilee, we have no record of it ever happening. So for anyone to base anything in an end times theology, any, anyone to base anything upon the year of Jubilee, or to say that this would be the Israel's year of Jubilee, we don't know when that would be because we don't have a date of the first year they celebrated it. If we had a date of the first time they celebrated, even that might be off by three or four years because most of those events back then, even though we say, all right, it looks like Jerusalem fell here, but it may have been a year sooner or it may have been a year later, uh, we're, we're not exactly positive on, on all the dates for those things. So when you hear something based on the year of Jubilee, just be careful. Don't be sucked in. Israel, as far as we can tell, there's no recording of it in, in the Word of God. There is no recording this ever happened. Now, if you remember what the year of Jubilee is, if you um, uh, had your, your land, and everyone, every family had land. So there was a land that was deeded to you, and this was written in. This belongs to the Williams family. This belongs to the Waters family. This belongs to the Jacobs family. Don't want to leave Keith out there. <laughs> but, we, but we, we, Keith doesn't get any land. Okay, right. Keith will be the Levite, so he doesn't get any land. His inheritance is God. We'll do that. <laughs> but anyway, if we were to do that, the certain this certain deed would always be their land. Now, if uh, the Williams family came into some financial hardship in the year, they could take a part of their land and sell it to someone else. And that person would buy that land. But on the year of Jubilee, whatever was done, all that land would revert back to the original owners. Now, one of the commandments in the Word of God was, you cannot base the price on how many years you have left until Jubilee. So you had to pay for the land as it was worth. And on the year of Jubilee, it would go back. So you couldn't program. We only, we only get one year of use out of your land, so we're not going to pay you the, the whole deal here. That's not how the Word of God said to do it. But uh, this is what was what's supposed to happen. 
the year of Jubilee, whatever loans were made were wiped out and the land went back to the original owner because it was important for God that each person owned their own land. This is why the the episode with Ahab came up and was such a thing because the land that belonged to Naboth, his vineyard, was something decreed to him. And he knew that he needed to hang on to this because there were certain spiritual things about it. He was not going to let it go. And so for Ahab to just usurp this is, uh, is part of the problem with this. God wanted them to have the land. He wanted them to own it. It was important to God for them to have that. And so he instituted the year of Jubilee so that that wouldn't happen. But that's not how it went. And certain people began to, to scarf up a lot of the land and to um, uh, not give it back on the year of Jubilee. In Micah chapter 2, in verse 2, it says, The rich had been, uh, well, I'm sorry, the, they, they coveted fields and take them by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. In Jeremiah 6, verse 13, Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness, and from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. So there was a whole lot of this falseness that was going on. People were taking fields. They were not... uh, They were finding loopholes. They were finding legalities. They were finding ways to usurp land and to take it and disregard what God had said about the land. This is one of the sins that Israel had done beside all the idolatry. This is one of those things. They did not give the land its rest and they did not have the year of Jubilee. So he goes on to say here that uh, behold the day, behold it has come, doom has come out, the rod has blossomed, pride has budded, violence has risen up into a rod of wickedness, none of them shall remain, none of their multitude, none of them, nor shall there be willing for them. Now they're not going to remain in the land. So these people who had taken up the land and some of them uh, had acquired it in wrong ways. Some of them have acquired it and not given it back in the year of Jubilee the way they were supposed to. He says, The time has come, the day draws near. Let not the buyer rejoice nor the seller mourn for wrath is on their whole multitude. So what we're looking at here is these people had had taken the land that that belonged to other brethren and were not giving it back. Now, when they... Uh, when they were taken from the land in exile. And this is the, this is the group that Ezekiel is ministering to. The ones who were taken in exile. This is the higher class of the citizens. So if anyone is going to be usurping the land, guess which ones it are? It would be them. And so they may have come into some agreements where they sold the land that they had. Because they're being taken into captivity and they're not able to, to be there. So they may have come into some kind of a, thing where they they sold it and he said let not the buyer rejoice nor the seller mourn so in other words buyer don't you rejoice because you bought a property that's worth uh, some mansion and you got it for pennies on a dollar he says don't you rejoice because it's all coming down it's basically the the prophecy is it's all coming down so don't be too glad because it's not you're not going to have that for very long you may have gotten that great big vineyard for very very little and he says, seller, don't you mourn because you had to give up so much and sell it for so little because it's all going to be gone and it'll be worthless pretty soon. So he said, let not the buyer rejoice nor the seller mourn for wrath is on their whole 
multitude. That's the poor. That's the rich. It don't matter. It's on all of them. For the seller shall not return to what has been sold, though he may still be alive. So if you sold your piece of property, your inheritance, he says, uh, you're not going to return to it. I don't care if you are still alive. You aren't going to be going there. For the vision concerns the whole multitude, and it shall not turn back. No one will strengthen himself who lives in iniquity. Now this part here, the vision concerns the whole multitude. This, this term for the vision concerns, this is a phrase that is used extensively in Ezekiel and Daniel, but we don't see it other, other, I don't think we see it other places at all. Ezekiel uses this term seven times, Daniel uses this term eleven times, and it refers to the prophetic word as a vision. Something about these two, they call the prophetic word a vision. In verse 14, they have blown the trumpet and made everyone ready, but no one goes to battle, for my wrath is on all their multitude. So they've blown the trumpet. It would seem that the purpose of blowing this trumpet is to get people ready for battle, but no one goes. For whatever the reason, they, they all stay. It may be referring to the people that are just in fear and they're unwilling to go. In Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 36, I'll read this for you. And as for those of you who are left... I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. And they shall flee as though fleeing from a sword. And they shall fall when no one pursues. There's other places in the Word of God in, the, uh, in Moses' writings where he talks about how one will put a thousand to flight of their enemies. Not of Israel. That you got a thousand Israelites fleeing for one person. So it may have reference to, to that. They blow the trumpet, but no one gets ready. They're afraid. The sword is outside, and the pestilence and famine within. Whoever is in the field will die by the sword, and whoever is in the city, famine and pestilence will devour him. So again, we're painting a very bad picture here of the land of Judea. If you are in the city, pestilence and famine. If you are outside the city, sword. Now, one way is quicker than the other. But there, there's nothing... No matter where you are, it's not good. There's no good place to be in the land of Judea. And when this day falls, it hasn't fallen yet. It is going to come. He's talking about it in past tense, but it has not fallen yet. So the people are still in the land and they're still hearing the people that are prophesying. Two years, this is over. And Ezekiel saying, uh-uh. It won't be. In um, Ezekiel 5, verse 12, one-third of you shall die of the pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst, and one-third shall fall by the sword all around you, and I will scatter another third to all the winds, and I will draw out a sword after them. Again in chapter 6, verse 12, he who is far off shall die by the pestilence, and he who is near shall fall by the sword, and he who remains is, and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus I will spend my fury upon them. So in chapter 5 we see it. In chapter 6 we see it. If you're inside the city, famine and pestilence. If you're outside the city, sword. So wherever you're going to be in the land, it's not a good place to be. So we had that in the Word in chapter 5. We had that in the Word in chapter 6. We have it here in the Word in chapter 7. 
Pick up in verse 16. Those who survive will escape and be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning. Each of his iniquity. Well, they'll have plenty to mourn. They lost their houses. They lost their land. They lost their friends. They lost their relatives. They've uh, lost all their security. They're hiding because if they're found, they're going to be killed. Every hand will be feeble and every knee will be weak as water. This is not the condition God ever wanted them to be in. He wanted them to stand before their enemies. They will also be girded with sackcloth. Horror will cover them. Shame will be on every face. Baldness on all their heads. If you cover this this term baldness through the prophets during this particular time, you're looking at baldness that is caused either by stress or baldness that is caused by a razor. That they shave their heads in shame. Whatever it might be, the baldness here is just referred to other places that actually tells how they become bald. They will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will be like refuse. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They will not satisfy their souls nor fill their stomachs because it became their stumbling block of iniquity. And as for the beauty of his ornaments, he set it in majesty, but they made it the images of their they made, it from, they made from it the images of their abominations. Their detestable things, therefore I have made it like refuse to them. So they're taking things that they had, had looked at as precious, as important. They were looking to gain silver and gold, precious jewels. But they took some of the silver, they took some of this gold, they took some of this precious jewels and they adorned idols. And they used it in the worship of these idols. And then they sought after it to the point of going against the Word of God, forsaking the year of Jubilee because they wanted the gold and the silver. And it would cost them some gold and silver to, to do what the Word of God had said to do. And God says, fine, you saw this stuff as more valuable than my Word. You saw this stuff as more worthwhile to pursue than all the things I told you to pursue. So, we're going to put you in a situation where you despise the silver and the gold that you have. You despise it so much that you throw it out your window and onto the street. It has no value to you. From what I heard of people down in Venezuela, they were doing this with their money. Throwing it out in the street because it had no value. A nation that 10 years ago was very prosperous and one of the the best economies in the uh, South American region but they decided to go into a socialistic way and within 10 years all the wealth was gone the people are starving and they took their money because it had absolutely no value anymore and they just threw it out in the streets there was no sense in having it be in their home they couldn't do anything with it it's going to be much alone those, those, they didn't have paper money in, in Israel's day their money was gold their money was silver but it had no value. You couldn't buy anything. You couldn't, you couldn't buy food to fill your stomachs. What good is this stuff to us? And either out of anger, out of frustration, or maybe they throw it out hoping that the enemies would take it and leave them alone. Whatever it was, God says this is what the end result is going to be. And they may be thinking right now, there's no way I would take my silver and gold and throw it out the window. But that day was going to come when that silver and that gold would have no value to them. Because I did not honor the things of God. And I will give it as plunder into the hands of strangers 
and to the wicked of the earth a spoil. See, they will see it as having some value. Isn't that odd? They see it as having no value because they can do nothing with it. But strangers, they will see it. And I will give it as plunder into the hands of strangers and to the wicked of the spoil of the earth. And they shall defile it and I will turn my face from them. And they will defile my secret place for robbers shall enter it and defile it. Now my secret place, that could be the Holy of Holies if there's anything still holy and sacred in it. But the temple, all the things, we know that when Babylon came down and when they destroyed this place, they took all of the gold ornaments from the things of God and they used them as vessels for their idols. We know that from the, the book of Daniel. The things that were done there. So they still had some vessels that were in honor for God and Babylon took them and carried them off. They took the articles of, of gold and they used them and desecrated them. And they robbed this, this place. Now if you wonder how if the, the Holy of Holies was still intact, how did they get inside and not die? Well, by that point, probably all this, these things were gone. And there is a rumor uh, about that Isaiah is the one who took the Ark of the Covenant. Now, not by himself. He grabbed some people, I'm sure. And he was the one who hid it. Hid it somewhere so that it would not be found. And of course, that's why we have all the movies. You know, in search of the the thing, because it's hidden somewhere. And I'm sure he followed inspiration of the Spirit of God. And if God wanted it found, it would be found. If God doesn't want it found, you're not finding it. But that's, um, that is how the rumor goes, is that Isaiah had gone into the Holy of Holies and they carried it, it out uh, properly, the way they were supposed to, with the poles and, and so forth, and, and took it and hid it some, somewhere. So verse 23. Make a chain, for the land is filled with crimes of blood and the city is full of violence. Now that make a chain there, it could have reference to the... Uh, the slave coupling chain that they would put on people as they carried them off into captivity and they led them from one place to another where they didn't want to go so you don't have to keep watching the whole line. You can't get a whole group of them to just run off in a, in a place so that it could have reference to that type of a chain. Make a chain for the land is filled with the crimes of blood and the city is full of violence. Therefore, I will bring the worst of the Gentiles and they will possess their houses. I will cause the pomp of the strong to cease and their holy places shall be defiled. Now, holy places, God has a holy place. Their holy places is speaking of probably their high places and things that they would have set up for their idols and uh, uh, such as that. But he would say, I'm going I'm to get the worst of the Gentiles. And he might be having in mind the Babylonians. Some of the Babylonians were, were pretty hard. They were pretty, um, pretty despicable. But there was other ones too. Uh, Edomites, they were... They were pretty despicable, despicable. And they may have come on through here. And after the Babylonians had come and destroyed it, maybe others came and defiled it even more. But he said, I'm going to bring the worst of the Gentiles into this place. Destruction comes and they will seek peace, but there shall be none. Boy, don't we always seek for peace? But he said, you're going to look for it and it's not going to come. Disaster will come upon disaster and rumor will be upon rumor. Then they will seek a vision from a prophet but the law will perish from the priest in counsel 
from the others. So disaster will come upon disaster. He said in verse 25, destruction will come. And rumor will be upon rumor. Now look at this part here. Then they will seek a vision from a prophet. But the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the, other, from the elders. They will seek a vision from a prophet. There was a situation, you all remember the, the time when they came to Jeremiah? The king came to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, tell me, what is the word of the Lord? And he told him what the word of the Lord was and uh, he didn't heed it. He didn't mock it, but he didn't heed it. There were other times that the word was written from Jeremiah and the king took the word and as it was read, he would cut off that page and he would burn it in the fire. It was despised. There was a time when people came to Jeremiah and they said, um, look, we want to do what God says. Uh, go to the Lord and whatever he says, we will do it. And so he went to the Lord. I believe it was 10 days. He came back to him and gave him the word of the Lord. Don't go down to Egypt. And they said, you lie. And they picked him up and they carried him down to Egypt because that's what they wanted to do. So there are times when they have sought after, and there are many more times than this, uh, even before all this happened, we remember the story of Jehoshaphat when he and Ahab were going out to battle. And Jehoshaphat says, is there not a prophet of the Lord here we can inquire? And so they brought Micaiah in. And the word came and neither of the kings heeded what the word of Micaiah was. And then one was a good king one was not a good king. But neither heeded what the Lord said. So people will come and they will seek after a prophet in this case. <clears throat> now the prophet as a bearer of an immediate message from Jehovah. If you, wanted a, if you needed a word from the Lord, if you needed an immediate message, this is who you go to. This would be the prophet. The priest was the interpreter of his law. They would be the teachers. They would be the one that would instruct you in the ways of the law. And we know how much guidance we get from the Word of God. And these would be the ones that would sit down and they would teach, teach you. Or maybe you could come to them and say, I, I don't quite understand this scripture, but I think this is going to help me out in my situation. Can you explain this to me? And the, the priest would, um, would do that. If you had a question regarding things, these are the ones that you would come to. You would come to the, to the priest and they would explain these things for you. This is Old Testament. And then there were the elders and these are the ones who had walked with the Lord for a while. And these are the ones that if you wanted the experience, you know, how does God's word work for you in this? How did you gain this experience? How did this, uh, this work for you? You know, sometimes we like to listen to to preachers who have experience. Uh, Jesse DePlantis doesn't always teach you line by line things of the Word of God, but he gives you experience and sometimes you don't like to hear the stories of someone's experience walking in the things of God. And, and this is the, the case there. So he says in this verse, Disaster will come upon disaster and rumor will be upon rumor and they will seek a vision from the prophet but the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. So disaster is coming upon disaster and then rumor, this is stuff that's coming still. We've got all these disasters that have happened and now this stuff is still coming. Now because of all the stuff that you've been through and now this stuff is still coming, I'm wondering, all right, what should I do now? And so I go to the prophet. Prophet, what should I do? What is the word of God that we need to do? And no word comes. And we go to the priest. Priest, would you explain to me the law? How this is, I, I don't have anything for you. It says, they will seek a vision from a prophet. 
but the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. The priest, I, I, don't, under, I don't understand the word of God. I don't understand how to apply this into to what you're, you're seeing. There won't be any counsel from the elders. There won't be any stories of wisdom. What to do? All this is going to be lost. And um, look at that. I did not call. I told you I, didn't, I wouldn't need them, but I'm going to need these. I didn't put these in my uh, outline at all. Did you pull them up on yours? Oh, good. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 23. I had them all lined up just to go right on in there and pull it right out and it didn't do it. They will lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea and they ride on horses as men uh, set in array against you, all daughter, daughter of Zion. Go to verse um, 21, verse 2. Please inquire the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works that the king may go away from us. Wouldn't that be nice? 23, verse 21. <clears throat> I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Ooh. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. And I, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Can it, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the, to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, He says... Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. So when these people or the prophet or the priest ask you, saying, What is the oracle of the Lord? You shall then say to them, What oracle? I will even forsake you, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. Thus every one of you shall say to his neighbor, every one to his neighbor, or to his brother, what has the Lord answered and what has the Lord spoken? And the oracle of the Lord shall mention no more. For every man's word will be his oracle. For you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the oracle of the Lord, therefore, thus says the Lord, because you say this word, the oracle of the Lord, and I have sent to you saying, do not say the oracle of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you and forsake you in the city that I gave you and your fathers and will cast you out of my presence. 
And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. Now that's pretty strong words for people who will go out and say false words. They will say, Thus says the Lord. In chapter 27, verse 9, Therefore do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, and your sorcerers who speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie to you to remove you far from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord. And they shall till it and dwell in it. I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die? you and your people by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence as the Lord has spoken against the nation that we will not serve the king of Babylon. Therefore do not listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you saying you shall not serve the king of Babylon for they prophesy a lie to you. For I have not sent them, says the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name that I may drive you out, that you may perish, you and the prophets who prophesy to you. Also I spoke to the priest and to all his, his people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city be laid waste? <clears throat> but if they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, that they now make intercession to the Lord of hosts, that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord and the house of the king of Judah and at Jerusalem do not go to Babylon. Well, another strong word. We're going to probably come back to that one later on, but let's go over to the rest of these. In Micah chapter 3 and verse 6, Therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. Amos 8 and verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. First Samuel 28 and verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. In Lamentations 2 and verse 9. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Well, this paints quite a picture of political chaos and confusion. There are people that go around and they say, thus says the Lord. But the Lord has warned them, I am not in it. I am not there. I have told you that people are going to go out and that people are going to say this. And if you listen to them, you will be led into places of destruction and not into the places, the few remaining places of safety that God has told them of. He warned them through his prophets but still they didn't listen. He cut their prophets off from his word, but they still trusted that their prophets had the word of God. He cut the law off from their priest so that there was no more understanding. 
because they had shunned the understanding of the word. And we're seeing a lot of this going on today and that there are false prophets that are coming out and saying things and people desire to hear it and to believe it because it goes along with what they want to hear and what they like. There are people who are interpreting the Word of God in ways that the Word of God is not, does, does not say. And they come out with conclusions because the people that they put up as priests or teachers are people who do not see the Word of God. And false, falseness continues on. Destruction comes and more chaos and more confusion. And he finishes his off. He says, The king will mourn. And that certainly is the picture of Jehoram in Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 30 when he tore his clothes and the people saw that he had sackcloth underneath of him. The king will mourn. The prince will be clothed with desolation and the hands of the common people will tremble. I will do to them according to their way and according to what they deserve. I will judge them. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. So the picture from Ezekiel is this. Jerusalem is going to fall. It is an unsafe place. Judah, the entire land, is going to fall. It is an unsafe place. If you are inside the city, you will die by famine and pestilence. If you are outside the city, you will die by sword. The mountains are unsafe. Fleeing Judah and Jerusalem is unsafe. Your safe place is to stay in exile. Serve the king of Babylon. For the people in exile, do not return to the land. Repent and serve God and stay here in Babylon. Those that were left in the land were told, repent and stay in the land. Do not leave it. Once Babylon had come and they destroyed it, there were still a remnant that were left. And those are the ones that carried Jeremiah off to Egypt. But the word came to him and says, stay here. Stay here. Work the land. That's the safe place. But Israel desired to be in the land that God gave them and that God blessed them with. And they will forsake the safe place given to them for the place they spiritually desire. And this we see sometimes with people. We have a place that we spiritually desire. We have a place that I feel in my spirit I want to go, but it's not the safe place that God has told me to go. And these people are being led. The ones that are in exile want to go to Judea. The ones that are in Judea, and when trouble came, they wanted to leave. And each time the safe place was said, stay where you are, that is the safe place. But they didn't want to trust that word. And they people in Babylon wanted to go to Judea, which was an unsafe place. And later on, the people in Judea, when the word came, stay here, they wanted to leave and go down to Egypt, which was an unsafe place. The enemy is always trying to get us to go into an unsafe place. And would you go back to that scripture that I said we'd go back to in uh, Jeremiah 27, verse 9, just the first couple of verses here. Therefore, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers who speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you to remove you far from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell it. The safe place is where God said to stay. But you'll notice that the people that were in the safe place were always being pulled 
to go into the unsafe place. We have all this talk anymore about safe places. We were over at one of the parks. I took a picture of it. I don't have it with me. took a picture of it because I was just surprised that this was here. But they had a building that was dedicated to be a quiet, safe place. And if you were in the, rec- the park going on the rides and you suddenly needed a quiet, safe place, you can go in the building. I was laughing. But I did take the picture. We didn't have safe places like that when we were, we were going. We didn't need safe places like that. But here, there's going to be trouble and turmoil and disaster all around Israel and they need safe places. Not safe places because of all this weird stuff we, we think is going on today, but because people were looking to kill them. And God says, here is your safe place. You've got to trust me and stay here. But what the devil did was he kept stirring up all the things that were around them and it made them think that their safe place wasn't safe. That they weren't going to trust the word of God. That other words came up and said, no, don't, don't do this. Do this instead. Go in this direction instead. But he says, no, don't do it. The enemy loves to pull people after the love of the things of God, which are not God's things at all, to lure them into an unsafe place where they can be plundered. That's what he loves to do. And he's an expert at doing it. See, as long as Adam and Eve remained in the garden, there were certain things the devil could not ever do to them. Many things that he couldn't do. But once he got them out, he's always trying to lure us into unsafe places. But God gives us words that keep us in the safe place. The people in exile are in a safer place according to the prophetic word of God given to them through Ezekiel. But their dissatisfaction drives them to go back to the place of judgment in danger warned about through Ezekiel. The enemy causes them to find fault in Ezekiel so his words are called into question. We've had some conversations about the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. So I made another little side note. It's not in your outline. If you want to write it down, you can just want to remember it, you can, but I'm sure that you'll be able to recall this. But the Spirit of Christ, I don't think I've had to put this, con- this concisely for me, but um, this is what, what came to me about this. The Spirit of Christ contends with the content of the message to expose the inward character of the messenger. The Spirit of Christ contends with the content of the message to expose the inward character of the messenger. You will find this constantly. When Jesus dealt with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were of the spirit of Antichrist, they were rulership. They were trying to rule the land. And when he contended with them, he contended with them on content. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Whose authority, or by whose authority did John do these things? You see, he contended with them on content because you know that by examining them on the content, their character would come out. And the Pharisees, they said to each other, they said, if we say of God, he will say, why didn't you believe him? If we say of men, will we fear the people? So they said, we do not know. 
You see, he exposed their character by the things that they said, by the message that they brought. That's the Spirit of Christ. When Paul contended against people who came against the gospel, he contended with them on the message of the gospel. When the prophets contended with false prophets, they contended with them on the message that they gave. And by doing so, the, the character that was in them came out. Now, the spirit of Antichrist is the opposite. And you will see this not just today, but all through. The spirit of Antichrist contends with the character of the messenger to call into question the message. It has been this way in Old Testament times. It has been this way in New Testament times. Remember when Ahab wanted to uh, uh, get the vineyard, he contested the character, not the message. His message, his message to the king was, God will not let me give you the land. That was the message. You can't contend with the message. You have to contend with the content. And constantly we see this done. When Daniel faced the, um, the people that wanted to pull him down, they couldn't, they said, we can't find fault with him unless we can find him doing something in service to his God. And so what they did was they set about to, to come up with a law that would try and put down his character. See what this, kid, this guy does? Because they cannot contend with the message. They can't contend with Jesus' message. So instead of contending with what he taught and what he said, they tried to get people to say and to tear down his character. They did it with Stephen. They did it with Paul. This is the spirit of Antichrist. And every time that you see it rear its ugly head today, know it is of the spirit of Antichrist. God never tears down a person's character. He tears down their message. He exposes their message as false because he knows if he does, their character will come out. But Satan can't do that because their message isn't false. So he has to contest with the character to call, to get people to call into question the message and thereby reject it. It's what is going on here in chapter 7. It's what is going on today. It is what is going on all through history. This is the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of Christ. It is so easy to tell the difference between the two. Any time, any time, a person bypasses the message to rip the character of an individual, they are under inspiration of the spirit of Antichrist. At least their father, Satan. At least that. That's why the Word of God is so much against this. Think back in the Old Testament. How harsh was the Lord in judging people who came after the character of Moses and not his message? Came after the character of Aaron but not his message. How harsh was he in dealing with them? I mean, the earth opened up and swallowed people fire came down and burned people. That's how much God was against it because of the spirit that is behind it. 
And our news media is constantly about tearing down the character of people whose message they cannot stand up against. Don't bring them into your homes. Don't listen to their message because you know what their message is from. Ah, oh, it's so important that we, we get hold of that. I wrote down a couple of things here for you in the end just to, to close this up. First off, if you want to stay out of this pitfall, of being led from safe places to unsafe places. Know the word, know his promises. Know the word, know his promises. It'll take a lifetime of us to get to know his word and get to know his promises. It'll take our whole lifetime. But you spend your whole lifetime getting to know his word and getting to know his promises. Don't give yourself a day off. Stay at it. Keep at it. Keep growing in his word. Keep growing in his promises. That's nothing to do for you. Don't murmur or complain against those set to protect you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because it is of the spirit of Antichrist. In any mild degree, whatever form, it is there to get you unseated. To get you to call into question the safe places that we are in. And lead you into the unsafe places. And so constantly in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we see this done. Calling into question Paul, calling into question Peter, calling into question John, calling into question Jesus, calling into question Moses, the prophets, Joshua. How many times did they murmur and complain and come against these guys? And God always met it harshly. Don't murmur and complain against those set to protect you. They are not perfect, but they are your protection. Third, do what God called you to do. Stay busy and stay focused. Whatever God called you to do, do it. Stay busy. Don't let the enemy come in and tell you what you're doing is no, is no good. It's not benefiting enough people. It's not making a big enough impact. Don't do it. What God has given you to do, whatever God has called you to do, you stay in there and you do it. The enemy is trying to lead you into unsafe places to get you unsatisfied with what you're doing I don't want to just be in this service of the Lord's house. I want to be one who goes in and brings the fire. Brings the incense. And we know how that worked out. He wants to get you dissatisfied with what you're doing. So that you begin to look for other places because then, in that unsatisfaction, He leads you into a place that is unsafe. It's His goal. Do what God called you to do. Stay busy. Stay focused. There's the next one. Continually find satisfaction in what you do. Find it. It won't jump out at you. But you can find it. The Word of God even says, Oh, it is better to be a gatekeeper in the house of my God. Oh, it doesn't matter what it is that you do. Don't downplay what you do. If God called you to do it, then God needs it. And you do that and you set yourself, I'll do this until the day I die. Until the day I go on to God. And I will find satisfaction in it. You can find dissatisfaction in anything that you do or you can find satisfaction in it. It is completely up to you and has nothing to do with what you're doing or the people you're doing it with. It completely has to do with you. I have got to find satisfaction in what I do. If I do not find the satisfaction, I will become 
and in disrest. I will begin to call into question what it is that I'm doing. I will then begin to murmur and complain against those that are there to protect me. And I will no longer be in pursuit of His word or His promises. Here's the last one. Contentment and peace will be yours and with it the growing wisdom of God. If you will follow in these ways, contentment and peace will be yours and with it the growing wisdom of God. Father, I thank you that in your word you showed us that what we are going through here today is nothing new. It's nothing different. We've, we face the same enemy who desires to pull us from your safe places into the unsafe places because he knows that there he can do all sorts of things. But when we stay in your safe places, he can't touch us. So Father, I pray that we learn the lessons of Ezekiel chapter 7 and other places here. That we take what your word says and we do it. And we hang on to it. We don't murmur and complain against those that are set to protect us. We do what we're called to do with all of our heart. As the word of God says, whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you shall receive the reward of your inheritance. Father, I thank you that Paul, as he exhorted us, that whatever state we are in, therein to be content we can continually find satisfaction in what we do. It is not dependent on those around us, on the people who oppose us, the people who accept us, the people who like us, the people who don't. It has everything to do with who we are. And Father, I pray that we never fall victim to giving voice to the words of the spirit of Antichrist and come against those and attack their character when all we are called to do is proclaim the message. We can attack, attack the message of untruth. But we don't need to attack the character of people. Thank you, Father, that as Jesus demonstrated, as Paul demonstrated and so many others, if we merely expose the message, they will expose their hearts. Give you the praise and the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen.